It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Get off the fence! Live on Memphis's Sports Station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey Show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller producing the program for us. Glad he is with us. Sitting across from me is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist. The lead sports columnist the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. A top three sports columnist in the state of Tennessee. Barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. All right, Jeffrey, I have a question for you to start start the week. All right. Have you ever been in a situation where you have sat close enough to the action, be it a pro game, college game, high school game, youth sports game, where you have been close enough that where when you say something, it is loud enough for someone on the court or field or whatever to hear you, and you felt remorse about it? And I say this obviously in light of Ooh, Shannon Sharp's remorse. action. Oh, like you feel bad, you you say so, something, and then you're like, in so retrospect, like I, I shouldn't have said that. That so was like, that was I crossed the line when I led the ACT chant to Michael Orr when he was at the free throw line, mm. and then my upper school principal kicked me out of the game. Okay, because obviously I did not feel any remorse for that. That was hilarious. Okay. Um. Oh, you didn't feel remorse no, in retrospect. No, that was that that was like worth it. Okay. Like that was the cost of doing business. You understood that you might get kicked out in that situation, but but you didn't feel bad for making fun of Michael Orr in that situation no. as a high school student. No. Also, like because you were his peer, you felt it was okay. Like if you're an adult doing that, that's over the line. I think he was older obviously. than me. Okay, but he could have killed me. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't know. I, that's cur- that that's, feels like one you should feel remorse for that's, though. That, no, that was courage. I don't know. It was like it was like being like pretty rude to him. A high school he was kid. Okay. It's one th- I know. He, he was fine. I know, but still, I wonder if that traumatized him at all. Doesn't that, seem that like, experience does not seem like it affected him right. in his life. Okay, so you didn't feel remorse for that. Correct. Okay. Not on that one. Um, I don't have a ton of. Most of the time, when I was quote unquote close to the action, was when I was covering the game. Okay, so then you can't. Yeah, yeah, you can't can't be doing that when you're close. You know. Correct. No, I cannot think of one like that. Mm. Oh, well, I did call um, Corv, uh, my my freshman suite mate had awesome Clippers tickets. Mm-hmm. And so we sat right behind the bench on the MLK game in 2008, and Corver was playing. I think that he was with the Jazz at the time. And I started making Ashton Kutcher jokes, and he gave me a head nod. Like, Good, mm. like that was pretty good. Okay, but you didn't feel remorse. No, that. I mean, I actually got the the head nod. See, one one story I've told is when I was a kid, it was like the first or second Washington NFL game I'd ever been to. It was at RFK Stadium. That's how long ago this was. And I chanted, "We want Gus for Gus Ferrat." When Heath Schuler, they were force feeding Heath Schuler because he was yeah, the well, high yeah. draft pick. Yeah, and, two pick. yeah, and uh, and my dad. My dad in the stands was like, man, I feel bad for Heath Schuler. I remember it vividly. And to me, as like an eight-year-old, seven, eight-year-old was like, oh, come on. No, we want Gus. We want Gus. But see, that's also where your dad's got to understand. Like, it's not like you understand the mechanics of 
Like the politics that uh, go very into clearly as a yeah. seven eight year old, I was just part right. of the movement in the stadium. Very clearly, oh, so you're saying you just got swept up. I got swept up in the moment because okay, I mean, but, like I did not enjoy a... the Gus Farad experience. Okay. But like this isn't like a situation where they weren't playing your guy. Well, they weren't at that moment. They were force feeding Heath Schuler into the lineup because he was the high pick. Even though when he had gotten hurt right. earlier in the season, Gus came in for a game and like played. You know, surprising, not great, but, but surprisingly this well. This isn't like he a Brock situation. It. This isn't a situation where, like, I'm watching Texas force feed Chris Sims when Major Applewhite was clearly the better option at quarterback, despite the fact, you know, you don't understand all the politics that go in. Chris Sims is like the most heavily recruited quarterback of uh, of a generation. Like he impacted Peyton or uh, he impacted Eli's recruitment. Like that's yeah. But like you're just sitting there watching it, just going, "Why aren't they playing the other guy?" Yeah. Like it's yeah. not that you were just swept up in the in the commotion. Yeah, I was seven or eight years yeah, old, yeah. and like an entire stadium right. was chanting it, and I was like, "Hell yeah, we want yeah. Gus, we want so Gus." It's like, re- it's like wrestling at that point. Yeah. No. And then the one I I actually am remorseful for, I went to a Tampa Bay Rays Cleveland Indians game with a buddy whose dad was part of the Rays ownership group, mm. and made the drunken decision to. Uh, Heck, be like an Indians fan mm. because it was in Cleveland the game while sitting in like while sitting while in seats in- that like were given to me by the Tampa Bay Rays minority owner. Yeah, and I felt in retrospect That's tough. In retrospect, I thought it was funny. I was like trying to be you know funny, and in retrospect, looking back, I just looked like a jackass. Yeah, but there is an element of being a punk that's fun at times. Yeah, but I, that's the one. I I, the, I just always am. I'm not I want to say I want to be here on air and apologize for that moment. I want to apologize to the Tampa Bay Rays organization. I want to apologize. I believe my particular target was Delman Young. Remember him? Oh yeah. Yep. I want to apologize to Delman Young, just like Shannon Sharp did. Apologize to everyone involved in that. I got swept up in the moment a little bit, and I should have acted more professionally. I've got a hot take. I now appreciate the Tampa Bay Rays and what they do, just like Shannon Sharp appreciates Dylan Brooks and everything he does on the basketball court. I did not care at all about the Shannon Sharp thing. <laughs> I didn't care about like what he did. And the internet did. Well, no, the funny thing that I thought was like he both like the funniest thing to me was him acting as if Steven Adams never came over there. Like the funniest no, that was part good stuff. The, that was the good funniest stuff. part of the entire the entire event from the initial event to the reaction to it, it to, was, then to hearing exactly what correct, caused it, which correct, was Dylan, you know, him correct. and Dylan to the correct. to the the him talking to correct. McMenamin at halftime yes. and like basically giving a cutting, promo. Yes, cutting a promo cutting, at half, <laughs> cutting a promo the, to the uh, to the it would be, it would be like someone from like Nitro, like yeah. it would be like Sting cutting a promo on WWE about something that correct <laughs> something that was happening in Sting, the world. Sting calling out Stone Cold, yeah. In like '98, so going on ESPN. That was the only thing that I thought was just so hilarious is because Shannon did the ultimate. Don't tell the story; tell your story. He acted as if the Stephen Adams part of the equation never happened. Well, here's what I can appreciate about Shannon Sharp and all this. One, as I noted on on Twitter, like videos, there were millions of people who watched him. Do whatever he did Friday night. Almost get in a fight, whatever you want to call it, with the Grizzlies, right? Are we sure it's millions? I mean, DeMichael, just DeMichael Cole's video, so the commercial sure. appeals reporter, has like 2 million views okay, on Twitter. Okay, well then done. All yes. right, fine. And like, that's not to mention all the national yeah. reporters who covered it, whatever. There's like, 
undisputed average is like 165,000 viewers a day. I looked it up. Okay? So, one, it ended up from a PR perspective, like, he got Shannon Sharp out there more than Shannon Sharp is even out there normally. Okay? First of all. Second of all, um, I think when you look at the apology now, he now looks like classy Shannon Sharp. So, he's like, he, you know, he he's able to cover both sides of it there where, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm classy. You know, I apologize for what I did. I feel remorseful. Um, and so he, you know, I, ultimately, he told a good story. It's a good story arc. Yeah, but this is kind of my problem also with the Shannon Sharps of the world. Can we just call a spade a spade and just be like, I'm a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Like, my whole thing is, I hate when... I thought it was a good apology. I thought it was a good apology. I also, though, don't think that was of his own accord. Oh, you so so this is interesting so, to me. I don't think it was Fox, though. I do agree with your point. You know who I think might have spearheaded it? The Lakers or the league? The league. Yeah. Because here's one thing I feel pretty confident about. I don't think he paid for that seat. I think it was mm. either given to him by his agent or Well, he said he was with some some fashion some designer right. too. So I, I I don't know. I I think out of respect for whoever paid for the seat, I think I think it was conveyed yeah. to him like, hey, do you want to sit there again? Because mm-hmm. I think we can both agree if it was a normal fan acting like he did, that person's not returning to the 100% seat. 100% kicked No out. way. Yes. No way. Well, especially after they escorted him out. Yeah. i got to be honest. That's what I was trying to rack my brain. Do you remember someone getting escorted out and then brought back? Like, usually when that happens, it was a pretty, it's a, I will say this was a pretty uh, original situation here. I think that's fair. <laughs> like, yes, we no. haven't seen many situations quite like this no, one. No, I, I agree with you on that. That and But I'm also not someone that I can accept the reality of the world that the rules are not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just accept that, mm-hmm. and I don't have a problem. Like, yes, I would prefer to be on the side where the rules don't apply to me, but I understand my entire life's probably going to be in a situation where the rules apply to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm also someone that can acknowledge Shannon Sharp has a different set of rules than I do. Yes. And that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't think they but were I, quite this different. I I, fig- I, I don't know. It, it, I also do not – I'm not in the camp, though. I, everyone, you know, for, for me, when everyone says, oh, I'm the conspiracy guy or the I'm always – I did not think this was a ratings ploy for – for him, like this, just was another. I think he if got caught up in the moment. I would a say, bit. if you've ever, the Green Bay Packers were my first favorite NFL team. If you've been familiar with the Sharps family's work, particularly Shannon's, like, but here's what I would say. I would say though, his general demeanor courtside, the way he conducts himself generally speaking. I'm not saying he was going in there and going, "I'm going to start a fight with the Grizzlies tonight." I definitely, you know, for ratings, but I definitely think he he was whether he did it consciously or subconsciously, like the show he's on and the way he portrays himself, like there is a certain character that he is playing when he is out in public. And that very much to me was yeah, what he was doing but Shannon courtside. Sharp, and, but it's been that way for like 30 years. Shannon Sharp has been a, you know, essentially a loudmouth since he was in the NFL. Yes. Like, remember, because that was always the, let's compare him to Sterling. Look at how classy Sterling is. <laughs> Look at Shannon. He'll never shut up. Which, mm. that's kind of the irony to me. I do. Do you think, if it is subconscious, now if you want me to get my Tim Full hat on, mm-hmm. I can do it. Do you think Shannon, it's like clear that, and we've talked about it, whoever is on the other side of Stephen A, or whoever's on the other side of Skip, after like 18 months, they just, they're sick of it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why it'll always be a revolving door of whoever. Well, Shannon's been with him now for a but, while. But I'm saying, do you think it's possible Skip adopting the Grizzlies? Mm, do you and, think- well, and Shannon is very much pro-LeBron, obviously. Yeah, I think you're right. Subconsciously, he but like. What I really see, I think, like, if you want me to do tinfoil hat, I can do that. What I think, though, is probably more likely I do think there is a ex-athlete, and it's like to me, like this is where I say, why can't Shannon just admit he's a hypocrite? Shannon, who was famous for running his mouth, mm-hmm. like literally, he's made a career. Like that's the thing, he made his second career by running his mouth as a player. Yeah, like by being like yes, correct, entertaining, but also right, but like being loudmouth and being. Yeah. The, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell you about it, yeah. which is. Like that's, that's we how, need guys. You need correct, guys like that. Hundred percent. I do think though there is an older athlete, and I think there are other fans that do hold the opinion of the Grizzlies run the run their mouths like they've won something already. Yeah, and they haven't. And I do think, especially with older athletes, mm-hmm. I think that's something that's a sore subject. Like, hey man. Well, it's certainly, I'm I'm not buying into like the Grizzlies are the most hated team in the NBA. No, like that's some people. I also think that's Go to like, an arena and see how many like random people are wearing John Morant jerseys on the road. They're not the but I can I can agree with they are certainly more hated than they were last year. Correct. They're that's no, where I would go. They are not the undisputed Oh, this team's fun. Yes. Last year they were the fun surprise team. They're not that anymore. But I also just don't think it's the all the all the way on the other end of the spectrum where they are the most hated team. I think like Warriors fans hate them. You know, yeah, I I felt but like, like let's also let's let's keep it real here, like for the Grizzlies to be in that category, they would have to matter way more than they do. Yeah, yeah. So lots of lots of things to overreact to. It's a big weekend for the Grizzlies, big weekend in the NFL, big weekend for Memphis basketball. We're going to get to overreaction Monday in a second. Jason Munch from the Commercial Appeal is going to join us in fifteen or twenty minutes or so. We'll really dive into the Tigers' big win at Cincinnati with him. 3 o'clock, we will get into the list. It's our NFL primetime recap. Our recap of the recap will happen there. Also, some other interesting stories in the sports world to get to, uh, including maybe uh, Jeff Bezos Bezos throwing his hat in the ring for the commanders. Uh, Did you just try to do, like, Bezos? Bezos. I always mispronounced it when I was there. It's Bezos. Um, Yeah, and we have our uh, – Jeffrey, our first trade of the NBA season, first uh, significant trade of the NBA season. Maybe we'll dive into that. Uh, 3.30 or so, we'll get more into the Grizzlies. They play the Sacramento Kings tonight. Big game. Kings are in th- alone in third place now in the Western Conference standings. Grizzlies in second place, second night of a back-to-back. Tip at 9.30. So drink that. Take, drink, drink some coffee. Get some caffeine in the system. Uh, Grizzlies, Kings, 930. You can listen to it on 92.9 FM ESPN. But let's overreact, Jeffrey. It's Monday. Mm-hmm. And I think we should start with the Grizzlies because obviously they, they blow that game. I think it's fair to say they blow the game against the Lakers on Friday night. Very yeah, clearly. Uh, let's, let's start with this overreaction because I want to get mm-hmm. this one out of the way quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my overreaction, the, the officials did not lose the Grizzlies the game on Friday night. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know they missed, according to the last two-minute report, they missed – a lane violation on Brandon Clark's second free throw that he missed. He should have gotten another. Correct. What they said is he should have gotten Correct. another free throw. They did. They said very clearly that Bain did not get fouled in their estimation on the steal by Correct. By, I also, uh, Schroeder. So, also, why didn't 
does call timeout on the rebound. Did they have a timeout? I thought they had one I, left. I don't know if they had a timeout. I think they had one left. Uh, also, Tyus has got to Tyus has to say something to Dez when that trap was about to happen, when the ball got stripped, ripped mm-hmm. away. I mean, they're up six with two minutes to go, and they, you know they they were undefeated and going with leads going into the fourth quarter, and uh, they, that I mean, whole game they kind of played with their food a little bit. Yeah, they, I, you know they kind of they didn't play well. They were beating a team. You know they kind of were just doing enough to to beat a you know middle of the road team. That's I I, kind of how I, I would describe I, the Lakers. They're not even right now middle of the road team. Yeah, they're like a game out of being a play in team right now. I mean, they're still under 500 and yeah. you don't sit there and go that's a good team. And they were missing a significant Correct. player as well. No, they 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 I, I thought Jenkins had the right tone after the game. He wasn't blaming the refs, he wasn't, you know, like talking about the well, end of the game. He said we overreact- didn't play well and they didn't. No, they didn't, but here's the other overreaction. The Grizzlies have a free throw shooting problem. It was a problem in that game. But I mean, when you're dead last in the NBA and it's not just Steven Adams. Well, I do think I think several warts were exposed in these two games. Warts that again, you can remove warts. Okay. I'm not saying these are unsolved. You can freeze them off, but yeah, yeah go ahead. You, you know, uh-huh. you can you can take care of warts. You uh-huh. can cover them up a little bit. Uh-huh. But the free throw shooting popped up. You saw it both in the overall free throw shooting, and then also they had, you know, Steven Adams having a great game. Uh-huh. And they had to take him out of the game because LA said we're gonna foul him. And I know he he, he made it. He had a better night at the free throw line. He did better than you think, but Correct. Jenkins very clearly didn't trust it. He took him out once the Lakers started doing that. He had a better night at the free throw line, but you still felt the entire time. At no point did you go, oh, this is improvement. You just felt like it was the right end of the numbers. Like and then, it was luck. And then in both games, you saw the issue of um, both the King, both the loss last night to the Suns and the loss to the Lakers. You saw this issue of, Dylan Brooks taking more shots than Jaron Jackson Jr. and not really close. Um, that's an issue that they probably need to solve. I think. I think at this point, you want Jaron Jackson Jr. taking more, taking the third most shots on the team. I think that's. I think I don't even really think. That's and I don't think you want Dylan should not be taking the second most, which is what he did against no, the I Lakers. Think you want Ja taking the most shots. You want Des taking the second most. Then you want Jaron. Yes. And then you want. Dylan, maybe. And and that issue cropped up in these two games, even though Dylan, you know, Dylan played pretty well defensively on LeBron um, and then complained about the refs after the game against the Suns that they're picking on him, um, which I don't know, you know, maybe. Um, at the same time, he plays a pretty physical brand of basketball. I think he's got to be aware that, you know, on a game-to-game basis, refs are going to, you know, he, he, he toes the line. That's like part of makes him who, who he is. And like, I mean, he's even admitted that he likes playoff basketball because he feels like yeah. his style gets rewarded. More. And maybe this is like, I'm not here to criticize what he said last night because maybe this is all like part of a greater plan for him. You know, there's almost like a coach complaining about the officiating in a playoff series. You know, to hopefully get a call and calls in the next game. Like, uh, it is what it is. Um, and then I think you saw, you know, especially John Conchar. You know, they're missing the kind of a guy in the rotation, it feels like. Like, Conchar was kind of a non-factor in these two games. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess this is kind of my bigger overreaction, and this could maybe play into it. What you're mm-hmm. saying could play into it. The Grizzlies clearly have a road problem. Mm, yeah. and mm. They're, they're de- certainly not the road team they were a year ago. And whether or not that's the league in general, because mm-hmm. it looks like a lot of teams in the league this year are not great road teams. So whether or not that's something about the league this year – whether or not it is 
I mean, I don't think you can rule out partying in L.A. because, again, they mic'd up Dylan Brooks. Mm-hmm. And on the broadcast, Dylan, like right after the first time they went to the cut, Dylan talked about our entire starting unit looks slow. Like, we look slow, slow, slow. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, then why? Well, I would say this, too. I think this is part of it. It's different when they go into an opposing arena now than last year. Like, they yeah, are no, I, I, yeah. considered one of the, you know, like well, I mean, teams talk- get up to play for them we did, we differently did than this, they did a year ago. We said this at Media Day. I think one of the most fascinating, like, overarching questions for this team this year was how would they handle no longer being the hunter? Yeah. They're going to get hunted, and it's a mixed bag. It feels like when they're at home and they're they're comfortable, they're really, really tough to beat. But I don't know if I don't know if every single night, night in, night out, you sit there and you go, "Look, man, they look prepared for this." Yeah. So, and this plays into my overreaction. I, you know, I think these guys, and I think this is to be expected given their age. They still have some growing up to do, and it's not to say they can't do it in the next three months. Like this is the perfect time for this sort of stuff to be happening. Because ultimately, I think when you look back at these two games that they played over the weekend, Friday and Sunday night, like they played two very immature games. You know, they played with their food against a team that was worse than them on Friday night. And then they allowed, it felt like in that first half against Phoenix, they allowed sort of the the dud of an ending that they had against the Lakers seep into the next game. And they played a lousy first half last night. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That was a lousy first. That was, like, probably the worst half they've played all year in the first half against the Suns. So, this was what I found myself wondering. Did they lose two games? Did they lose two games last night? Because I think this is interesting. I do think you're right in the sense that it felt like Friday night had an impact on last night. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also wonder, they expended yeah. so much energy. You could see it in Ja's face Correct. in the fourth quarter of that Trying game. Trying to come back, and then, you know, we... Now they got to go They got to go all the way up to Sacramento. Exactly. We talked about that's a long back-to-back. That's a two-hour flight. But on top of that, like, you know, like you oftentimes see this. When a team has to exert that much energy in a comeback, mm-hmm. like they're gassed the next day. Oh, no, tonight, we'll get into the next hour. Tonight's going to be very interesting from that uh, component because um, I think you're right. It could almost like be, you know, they got behind the eight ball to start this road trip, and it's like they're, they're playing catch up the rest well, of the way. it's almost as if that Lakers loss cost them two additional games. Potentially. Um, because, yeah, they, it was good to see the second half that they, you know, clawed their way back into the game and – you know, had a chance. The, the team that deserved to win won the game, but they did have a chance at the end. No, I um, think that's fair. I mean, you know, they call that foul on Ja. I don't know. It, was, it felt like a little ticky tack for see, that moment, but at the same time. But he leaned into it. You know, at the same time, I'm like, it was a 50 50 call, and it went against I, the Grizzlies. See, I, I'm in a lot of disagreement with everyone. If you thought you, it was a foul? Yes. When you're. The rule is go straight up. Mm-hmm. He did not go straight he leaned up. Over he a leaned little. into him. Yeah. And contact was made. But the bigger problem is the 37 first half points. Yeah. No, they, they didn't show up. Everyone but Desmond Bain felt like yeah. they didn't show up. And then really in the second half, I, like if you're going to take a positive from it, that was the best Zaire's looked all season. No question. Like forget the the 79 footer or he whatever. Looks, like, he looks so good that yeah. they didn't play Jaron Jackson down the stretch. Yeah. Um, so it will be uh, interesting to see how they respond to all that tonight against the Kings. We'll get into that game next hour. All right. Overreaction from me. 
about the NFL playoffs. Because it went opposite. It was like a, it was basically a reverse of what we saw last week. In the Super Wildcard weekend, weren't expecting a lot out of the games. They delivered in a big way. Divisional round, expecting a lot more from the games based on the matchups. By and large, you know, wasn't the most thrilling weekend of playoff football in the NFL. Um, and so I'll say this. The divisional round, let's just be honest, it was kind of boring. But I don't actually care because of the title games it's set up. Cincinnati, Kansas City, Philly, uh, San Francisco feel like it's it just feels like the right championship games. We got the it really does feel like the four best teams are playing. Yeah, I I guess I struggle in this one. I think the only team that was truly disappointing this weekend was the Bills. Because mm-hmm. the reality is the Giants played that same game in week 14 against the Eagles except just on they were on the road this time, and they got blown out more. Like, the reality is, like, the NFC has kind of... Part of the reason why the Giants were in the playoffs is because I didn't feel like the NFC had that many good teams. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so it allowed the Giants to kind of get there. But the reality is, the difference between the Giants roster and the Eagles roster was just night and day. Mm-hmm. Like, And that was kind of a result. I think the the problem was... You could deal with one dud of a game. One, mm-hmm. you know what you I mean? You can't like, expect all of them to be correct. Of, of course not. The Jags game was fairly close, but the Jags just made two critical mistakes. Well, I would say the whole Mahomes getting hurt and playing through injury sure. added a little flavor to it that was not. I Like, I thought, frankly, that was the best. Of, that, to me, was the most interesting of the four games was Kansas City-Jacksonville. So... I think that I think we would we would have felt different about that game if Agnew doesn't have the fumble, mm-hmm. the the unforced error fumble. Yeah. So if the if the Jags score when they were down ten with like nine minutes left, to where it wasn't desperation, it was still yeah. it was but, still. But I just think watching Mahomes play injured was compelling. It was compelling to watch him gut through all that. Yeah, I I, I agree, but I just I don't know. I still think. I think the problem is with the San Francisco Dallas game, it was such a struggle that it felt like as soon as one team got a score, a touchdown, mm-hmm. it almost felt over with. Mm-hmm. But the other problem is when you're in, when you're watching a game and the most exciting play is Dallas sending out their kicker, yeah, like it makes you go, well, I, I don't know. I thought that was a pretty it wasn't, well that wasn't game. a bad like, game. That wasn't a bad game by any means. Like. It was intense. I don't know if it, I shouldn't say that it was well. The played. Eagles Giants game was not interesting after like a quarter and a half. Oh, I think if you were watching, Even, it, you, you know what I mean. Like as soon as they got that first touchdown, I was like, "Uh oh, um, I've seen this script." And then the Buffalo Cincinnati game was interesting enough, but I was just expecting a lot more out of that game, especially when you had the snow too, and it was just like I was. There was a lot of. Good narrative stuff. Demar Hamlin back, and we just the game on the field didn't live up to like sort of the circumstances surrounding the game. I think that's fair, and I guess the other thing that my overreaction from this weekend was so much of the playoffs is a game script. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, let's take the Bills, the Bills Bengals game. Bengals get the ball, go right down the field and score, and made it look pretty easy. Like, to the point where you're going, wait a minute, Burrow got kind of pressured once, but 
he looked amazing. What I thought was fascinating is the very next drive, the Bills went three and out. But on the third down play, Josh Allen got blitzed big time to the point where I think there was a coverage bust. And at the minimum, if he hits digs, it's a massive play. It might have literally been a touchdown play, like an Mm -hmm. 80-yard touchdown play, and then all of a sudden shootouts on. But what happened was he missed him because he kind of panicked and rushed the throw a little bit. They punt. Bengals get up two scores immediately, and then it just felt like the entire rest of the day the Bills were were chasing, and they just got completely away from what they wanted to do. The same thing I think is going to be interesting with the Eagles. If you let the Eagles get in front, Mm -hmm. they are unbelievable front runners. Like, Mm -hmm. every... They just can hold the ball for 11 minutes. Like, they had, they had like, seven-minute punt drives. Like, drives that just ended in a punt, but they just suffocate you. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot force them into a game script that's to your liking, they will do that to you. Yeah. Um, it does feel like, though, the Niners have a defense that could be capable of But, like, to your point, handling. I do think – I think we're at the point where you can safely say – and I don't know how often this happens. How many times do you think we get to championship weekend and the two best teams in the league in each conference mm-hmm. are in the championship game? It feels rare. Well, it does feel like that's And what I will we have say, is- like, whoever wins, like, I think we're going to have a good Super Bowl. Whoever wins each of these games. I think we're going to have an interesting Super Bowl because mm-hmm. I think whoever wins the AFC is going to come out with clearly the best offense. Mm-hmm. And whoever, I think, wins... The AFC champion will be the favorite in the Super Bowl, true or not. I think that's true. No matter who wins the NFC. No matter who wins. Even if Philly wins. I think that's true. The AFC champion will be the favorite. All right, here's my overreaction. Also, oh. other another championship game overreaction. Uh, Joe Burrow passed Josh Allen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Best young quarterback in the NFL? Well, it's, well does Mahomes count? I, if, I don't know. It's between him and Mahomes in I, your mind. Correct. And maybe this game will help correct. be a determining factor? And my other overreaction was, uh, that's the last time you're going to get more than two and a half points with Joe Burrow in the playoffs. Mm. That line was such a sucker line that I think everyone ended up taking the bills because everyone did the move of, wait a minute, these two teams are fairly even. Like, you know what I mean? Going into this before, forget yet what you saw yesterday. If you just went into the weekend, wouldn't you say the bills and the Bengals are about, you know, about even, I don't know. Yeah. One team's going to win, but like the same time you go, they're about even. And they gave you six points. Mm-hmm. With Burrow, like it, it got everyone going. Well, what is going on here? Like, let's take the Bills because there's no way they're doing this. I think that's that might be the last time you're ever going to get that many points with Joe Burrow in a playoff game. Interesting. Well, we'll dig into it more in our NFL primetime recap next hour. All right, last overreaction before right. we get to Jason Munns. And I might, maybe I'll regret this in the long run, Jeffrey. But I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm diving into this overreaction. All right. The Memphis Tigers from non-conference play are back. That's what I. That's that's my overreaction mm. from that win over Cincinnati, seventy-five, sixty-eight. I believe was the final score. Uh, they go into Cincinnati. Looked very. I thought. I thought certainly their best performance of conference play. Yes, because they played like they did for that middle like twenty-five minutes against mm-hmm. UCF, and they didn't have the bad stretch. Mm-hmm. They, there was stuff that went against them. Yeah. Um, that they didn't blink. Um, they took several counter punches that could have mm-hmm. easily been like. I mean, oh, I just man. thought they're tied fifty-fifty. Yeah, and they knew exactly what to do. Kent went, got the ball to Kendrick Davis. He scored six straight. They held uh, Cincinnati to eleven points over the next ten minutes of the game. 
when it was tied 50-50 with 12 minutes to go. Yeah. Won the game right, made 13 of 14 free throws. I, as I put it in my column up at commercialpill.com, if I'm Penny Hardaway, if I could bottle up that close, that's that, that, that's the ideal situation right there. It's going through Kendrick and DeAndre, and DeAndre had another. I thought, I, I think these past two games together, I mean, the best two-game stretch of his career, he was fantastic again yesterday. Really, I, to me, the key player again in that game. I agree with you. I also thought what was good to see from DeAndre is I felt like DeAndre was flirting with going over the line again and, mm-hmm. and reverting back to his old ways. He got a saw, tough whistle in that game. He did, but you also saw awareness. Correct. Yeah. Yep. No, and he, he made an adjustment because that's always been my biggest complaint. Two I, of those fouls were completely bogus. The technical foul for doing the goggles was ridiculous. You could tell the officials decided, like, they knew this was a intense game and they yeah. were they were going to... And then the last foul was ridiculous, too. The fourth foul he got. I, I completely agree with you on that. What I think, though, was encouraging was sometimes that happens, and mm-hmm. you have to make an adjustment. And I thought DeAndre made a really good adjustment. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a, I thought it was an impressive performance. Penny Hardaway's 100th win. On court. On court. Um, not a, not, they can't recognize it as 100 because he got That's one. That's not true. Hugh Freeze proves that. <laughs> He'll he, just go change it on Wikipedia himself. Because he got one removed from mm-hmm. the IRP stuff. But uh, a nice way to get win number 100. Let's talk to Jason Munns about it. He's the Tiger basketball beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. He was there in Cincinnati. He's going to join us next. You're listening to the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Us into a win with BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Place a one-game parlay wager with at least four legs on any NHL game. If all the legs of the parlay hit but one, you'll get your stake back and free bets up to $25. Just log into your account or download the app and sign up with BetMGM to get started. Then opt into one... Then opt into the one-game parlay insurance promotion. Place a one-game parlay wager with four legs or more on any NHL game. And if you miss only one leg on your wager, you'll receive up to $25 back in free bets. Turn game time into showtime with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older, you must be in Tennessee. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance for problem gambling support. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. Jason Munns is the Tiger basketball beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. He is on Twitter, at Munsley. Joins us each and every Monday. Munns, what are we listening to? Country homes and ranches. Jeffrey, this is Tom Petty. Uh, the song is called Saving Grace off the 2006 album Highway Companion. And... Uh, I needed a highway companion uh, this weekend because I I spent I, I chewed up the miles driving to Cincinnati on Saturday back the last couple of days. So well, how did it wasn't the Tiger basketball bus your traveling companion? Yeah, they had to go to Indianapolis. I thought they had to drive to back. Home. No, they they had to yeah they had to drive over to, uh, to Indy, Indy ah. because the they 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 went a different direction than I did because they. Um, they flew into uh, the smaller Cincinnati airport, and like they didn't have the capability to de-ice the uh, already truncated runway, and so yeah, they had to go. They had to they had to make alternate arrangements. Well, how did how did the you, yourself, a Natchez, Mississippi native, longtime Hattiesburg residence resident before you came to Memphis, how did you handle the snow up in Cincinnati? Well. Uh, very carefully. Um, I think that's the. <laughs> it's not difficult the to best imagine. Way to put it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I so I stayed out by the airport, which is in northern Kentucky, and uh, uh, it was supposed to take me 18 minutes to get from my hotel to the arena, and it took me, all, like, a little more than an hour. So it was uh, – I, I, but I did have – I did leave early enough that um, it wasn't too bad. It was – uh, I, I did have to park a little ways away from the uh, from the arena, though. Um, no media parking. Yeah, I had to no, do that last was, time I was there. There was, but yeah, I was I was I was like a mile away from the arena, and uh, uh, walking that in the six inches of snow was um, arduous. You know, not not great, and 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 then walking back to the car um, after the game. Uh, was not great either, but you know what? It, it you know it uh, battle scars and all that stuff. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not complaining. Um, yeah, no. It's, I mean, if you've been to their facilities since it's actually nice. They're all like packed together within the campus, so there's not like a lot of parking around the basketball arena, for instance. Um, but I like yeah. it's like right next to the football field. It's like actually a nice layout on campus. All right, let's get to the game because. I think it was the best road win Memphis has had this season. I know uh, te- that Temple win looks a little better now now that Temple went into Houston and won this weekend. But um, just with the way they played, uh, the type of team they were playing, um, I thought it was uh, the best road performance, a true road game performance of the season for Memphis. And I went as far to say, Jason, in our overreaction segment, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, Like I, I-, I said the-, the Tigers of non-conference play are back. Am I going too far there uh, in saying that? Um, will will that come back to bite me? What do you, what did you make of of what you saw yesterday from Memphis? I mean, certainly what I saw yesterday, I would say that's a that's a that's more than fair because they they could have there were several times where they could have lost their composure or let uh, a moment where they might. Ha- where somebody might have lost their composure, um, snowball, no pun intended, but um, they didn't. And that's a huge credit to them. I mean, you know, you're you're in a hostile environment. Granted, the snow did keep uh, the numbers down. That and the Bengals game being at 3 o'clock, kickoff at 3 o'clock yesterday, I think kept the numbers down pretty significantly. I mean, I, I, I... I was talking to the Cincinnati SID before the game, and he said they were expecting like 10,000. I don't know what the exact announced attendance was, but it certainly wasn't more than five. Mm. And um, and so, you know, whatever. But, like, uh, I would say, yeah, based on the, the – I mean, you know, I would say based on the last three games, I think it is fair, completely fair to say at this point that they are back. That doesn't mean they're not going to – you know, have a hiccup here and there like they did in non-conference play against Seton Hall and, um, you know, whoever else it was in Alabama. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, two of the last three wins, uh, true road games, one of them, as you mentioned, against Temple, who just knocked off the number one team in the country, the same Temple team that is now a quad two win mm. for, uh, for, for Memphis. Yeah, they're up to 37 uh, they in the net, right? Who? Memphis is up to 37 in the net because of all this. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was saying Temple like jumped mm-hmm. up twenty or twenty five spots because of their win, and so that mm-hmm. that you know gives Memphis a little extra juice. But um, and then of course the home win against Wichita, where they won by ten points, which double digit wins have not been they've been a, a little few and far between for these Tigers. But yeah, uh, these last three games they've looked pretty good, and um, they do seem to be hitting their stride, which is should come as no surprise because this is around the time that Penny Hardaway teams do that. This is kind of the, the thing that I noticed yesterday, and I'm curious to know if like, maybe you could articulate it better than I can. can. Have they figured out how to let other teams beat themselves? Because like, it felt to me like yesterday, and kind of what you saw also against Wichita State, like when things, because games clearly have swings and ebbs and flows, but it felt like even when the game got tied, Memphis just did a really good job of like letting Cincinnati self-destruct. And they just kind of, to me, like they just showed to be the more mature team. I think that there is something to that just because, you know, in talking to Penny after the game, he was like, our game plan was to not let their three-point shooters beat us. Like we were, we sold out in stopping their three-point shooting, which is interesting given like if you can do that and you clearly can, uh, then, then why not try to do that more? Uh, you know, like they, they've, they've been pretty awful this season at, at defending the three or maybe not awful. That, that's probably too strong of a word, but not, not very good. Um, yet yesterday they go on the road against the best three point shooting team by the numbers that they've faced all season long and best in the AAC this one year. Of, yeah. Held them to one of 13 in the first half and six of 24 overall. Uh, at, again, at home, that's, that's at home numbers for Cincinnati. This is a Cincinnati team that had one game where they shot 60% from three. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the fact that they didn't ever, like, let whatever their big guy, Cincinnati's big guy was Victor doing. Victor Locken? Yeah, Victor Locken. He got a lot of really good looks. Well, I think and, they basically said, if Victor Locken's going to beat us, Kudos to you. I think they. I think yeah. they decided before that game there is no chance Victor Locken is going to be the reason we lose this game. Let's let him. We're going to let him do what he. What he. You know, whatever he wants. Essentially, you know, they were switching. Uh, Kendrick da- half his baskets. It felt like came on like with Kendrick Davis or someone sm- small like that switched on him. Yep. Yep. But what I'm saying is like a lesser, you know, team or a lesser coaching staff might you know a few of those in a row and the game's getting tight maybe they maybe they sort of lose sight of the big picture and you know try to switch things up and try to slow him down and then that opens up the three-point shooting but they never did they they stuck to their game plan and it worked like a charm I mean you know outside of that stretch where Cincinnati hit four out of five three-pointers and tied the game on the fourth one uh, they were two for 20, 19, two for 19. Um, I mean, pretty amazing. And, and, and so, yes, I think that to your point, Jeffrey, uh, that, that is in a way letting Cincinnati beat themselves uh, or beat itself. Like, you know, they, they couldn't figure out a way to counter Memphis's sort of counter to their strength and uh and and 
Yeah, you could say that. Like you, if you could, you could certainly frame it that way that they, that they um, didn't do anything to at least help themselves, uh, you know, win the game. Can DeAndre keep this up? I mean, because he's very clearly taken his game to another level. I know he's now something like 16 games in a row in double figures, but it does feel like over the past two games, certainly, he's gone to a level I don't know if he's ever gotten to at Memphis from a production standpoint, certainly in terms of the raw numbers, but even just his impact on the – he was an impactful player already, but it feels like he's had an even greater impact these past couple games. Because to me, if that is – if he can be even just like 90% of the player he's been the last two games down the stretch, I really like their chances of you know stringing together a lot of wins. Um, but is that yeah, is that feasible given you know what we know about his foul trouble, what we know, what we've seen over the course of you know two and a half years at this point? Well, I'll get back to the question in a second. But to answer to sort of to sort of uh, solidify what you're saying about what he's done. And, and how rare it is at Memphis. He has scored 20-plus points in three consecutive games. He's never done that at Memphis. It's the first time in his career he's put that together at, at, at Memphis. Uh, second time in his career he's done that overall, but first time at Memphis. And he was named the Conference Player of the Week today for his performances last week. That, believe it or not, is the first one of those he's ever gotten. Um since he got to Memphis, which I found a little bit surprising, but uh, so so yes, what he's done and what he's doing is is he's raised his bar to a level that he's not done before at Memphis. Can he keep it up? I submit he can. I think he has turned a corner. Um, does that mean he'll never foul out again? I don't think so. Uh, I think I think I, I think that would be naive to us uh, to like you know, predict that that part of it is, is over. But, um, you know, he mentioned it again yesterday, that meeting that Penny pulled him and Kendrick into uh, where he, he told them both, I need you guys to step up. Like, I, like we, we are not going to get where we want to go and where you guys want to go if you don't step up and start playing like the players you're, you're you know, start doing the things you're capable of doing. And, um, you know, he mentioned it again yesterday that how that just really has resonated with him. And I mean, look, you got SMU at home on Thursday, you got Tulsa, which, you know, they did, they did, didn't, didn't Tulsa beat UCF this weekend. Correct. That was yesterday. Yeah. That was yesterday. Yeah. This weekend. Yeah. Yeah. They beat Tulane. So yeah, like credit to Oh, Tulane. That's right. That's right. USF beat UCF. Yes. So the, it's um, so, it, it. I wanted to ask your, your see what you thought about how the league is shaping up, net, shaking out right now because Houston loses yesterday. Uh, UCF has now taken two kind of disappointing losses in a row. I think right. Um, that's, I believe that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know we just mentioned uh, Tulsa beats. Um, why am I blanking all of a Tulane. sudden? Tulane, like kind of the teams in that upper echelon. At the same time, it does feel like, other than Houston, it feels like Memphis has played its toughest road games within the conference already. UCF, yeah, Temple, um, yesterday at Cincinnati. Like I don't know, you know, Tulane. They've played all their kind of toughest, you know, aside from Houston. I was gonna say, I was like, no, aside from yeah. Houston, 
Um, and if you look at Ken Palm, we're back in the territory of they will be favored in every game the rest of the way, except for the Houston games. Um, how do you see this? How, how do you see the conference race shaking out right now? What do you make of kind of the results that don't seem? I don't know if they don't. I think they make sense in that it it speaks to uh, there's not really a national title contender, certainly, or even like a surefire second weekend team, maybe Houston. But they seem, because of their offense, gettable in a tournament scenario at some point. Um, I think it speaks to that. But what do you make of the results we've seen? Well, I mean, yesterday, uh, well, Saturday and Sunday, um, at the very least, opened the door. I mean, Memphis controls its own destiny. Like, if they they do, if they win, you know, games – they can win the conference championship. Like it's it's that simple, you know. Like you mean if they uh, the, hold on, let me write that yeah, down. Yeah, let me, let's write that down as a guarantee. If they win games, they will win the how well, many like, games? Wait, wait, to, to be clear, months. If they guys, do not, if they do not lose the rest of the way, you think they'll be you think they'll be the AAC champion regular season. Guys, and then listen. and then if they win out in the conference tournament, you think they'll win the conference tournament. I don't even think I walked into this. I think it was pretty. I, I think I was. I think you I walked think right I into it. it. And Jeffrey, no, let me let me I, tell you this: I, if they score more points oh, than the other oh, team I, in those games, they're going to win those oh, games. Geez. It's a it's a domino effect. Jeez, but yes, geez. it is Y'all true. It I is can. true. 